Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. To be fair, there is definitely room for objective journalism, but I believe there's also room for perspective journalism where you say, hey, you know what? This is the system as it is, and it sucks. And yes, I will fight to change it. I will fight for the audience to change it. And the fact that people have believed in us and held us, I guess, propelled us forward to help lead that change is humbling, wonderful. Uh, It's been an amazing adventure. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about digital media, here with another episode that's uh, once again different than what had been promised. Last week, we teased to an interview with Mandy Jenkins and Benjamin Decker of Storyfill that I did at uh, the ONA conference a few weeks back. Actually, what happened is I had the opportunity to talk to Jenk Uger, the host and the founder of The Young Turks Show. Our conversation turned out to be quite timely, so I felt it made more sense to bring it ahead a week earlier. We'll have Mandy and Benjamin's podcast next week, promise. And then maybe at that point, I'll sort of revisit this whole idea of actually teasing to future podcasts. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. It's a lot about what's going on in the news lately, and uh, it's a different perspective on journalism, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast, Jenk. Thank you, Michael. Okay. Now, I, I had a chance to see you at uh, the Online News Association. You were part of the uh, keynote speakers, and uh, you were very gracious to, to agree to come onto our podcast. So uh, what I usually like to do in these situations is do a uh, what I like to call a journalist journey. So could you sort of tell me your journey to where you're at now? Yeah, it's it was a, it's a wild ride. <laughs> it's unusual. So I started out as a lawyer, hated it, then started my own public access show, which, you know, I think still kind of exists, but uh, that was back in 95, so a long time ago. And I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. And then I started doing radio talk shows, then went back to TV, worked as a producer, a TV writer, and an on-air commentator. And at the end of that whole long process of trying to find what is the right fit for me in media, 02, 2002, I started The Young Turks. At the time, it was just a radio show on Sirius Satellite Radio, and it was me and, and a guy that I'd worked with in TV uh, named Ben Mankiewicz, who's now the host of Turner Classic Movies. And we started this show on Sirius. We were actually the first ever show on Sirius, and just thought of ourselves as talk show hosts, not necessarily journalists. And obviously, we're part of the media, but I don't know that we would even call ourselves press. Back when we worked in Miami on in TV, Ben was the anchor of our local news outlet that, that I worked on. I was his writer and producer. So there we were working in traditional news to some degree. It was a Barry Diller-led group, so that it was not a local news as you know it, hopefully a little smarter, a little funnier, or more interesting, but clearly in the bracket of news that you would consider. And I never called myself a journalist, and I'm not sure I even do that today, but I think the state of journalism got so bad that I now say that, you know, <laughs> compared to the other folks, I guess we are, but we just do perspective journalism. We wound up going online. I wound up hosting on television on MSNBC and current TV as well. But really the heart of the show from 2005 on has been online, and we're now, The Young Turks is now the largest online news show on the Internet. 
And so I prefer to call myself just a talk show host, but since there's a vacuum, uh, we'll call it perspective journalism. I think that's a fair description of, of what you do. So what was it about YouTube in 2005 that, that sort of made you say that this is, this is the direction to go? I fancy myself a logical guy. Uh, we'll see if history proves me right or not. But there I thought, look, online video is going to win. TV costs way too much money. It has gatekeepers. It's got an enormous advantages in the short run, including infrastructure for advertising, which allows for much bigger revenue, subscription model through the cable packages. I mean, I can go on and on about its advantages, but its main disadvantage is that there are people picking hosts and shows based on factors not related to the audience. They're picking based on advertisers, corporate interests, and that's a losing model. And, you know, in order to get on television, you need billions of dollars, which means that a lot of the perspective that those folks on TV are going to have is an insider perspective. They don't know it, generally good folks, and they don't think, we will not represent insiders. But they got hired by an executive at a multi-billion dollar corporation to mainly not rock the boat, to keep the status quo going. That's also a losing strategy. People don't want gatekeepers. They, they don't want you to cater to corporate interests and advertisers first. And if you have a model which online video encourages and is, you know, it's part of its DNA is to find people in the crowd and lift them up. So if we did a show that did not appeal to the audience, since we had no money and since we had no infrastructure, we would have lost. We would have been lost in the ocean of content. But the crowd lifted us up because this is the voice that they apparently they were interested in. And I think that that is enormously important and why television is, is on its death watch and why this model works better and why I believe in online video. So what was key then for your success, do you see? Look, in a sense, we got lucky. And here's what I mean by that. It turns out our point of view is the point of view that millennials wanted that the online audience wanted, and that's why they started watching us. They had a million choices, and they generally seem to have picked us. Now, they picked other folks as well, but we're the largest. And so, um, you know, you can give us some credit for doing some of the blocking and tackling of the Internet, right? Tags, SEO, stuff like that. Um, but overall, if you uh, – and I've now seen it with dozens of shows that have been on our network – it either finds the audience or it doesn't. So I know that's way oversimplifying. But yes, instead of a gatekeeper who has a thousand other interests picking uh, winners and losers, the audience picking winners and losers is infinitely better model. And we just got lucky that they, they, we were the progressive voice they were looking for. So how do you, if you look at traditional um, journalism, tra traditional media structures, how is something like you that's a perspective coming from a particular perspective, what makes it, what makes you more successful in sort of the new world of uh, media? That I have very clear answers for. What is authenticity? So we don't hide our opinion. And I think that mainstream media does. I think that television doesn't have a liberal bias. That's hilarious. That's, it literally makes me chuckle every time somebody says that. So yeah, giant multi-billion dollar corporations are so liberal. It's such a preposterous point of view. It's just a right-wing talking point. Uh, and television perpetuates that talking point because they kind of like it. They like pretending to be liberal. But I also don't think that they're necessarily conservative politically. I think that their bias is an establishment bias. 
And it is to protect the status quo because all the folks on TV, all the more importantly, the executives of those television corporations love the status quo, have all become enormously wealthy and successful and powerful through the status quo. Why the hell would they want to rock the boat? It's their boat. <laughs> so we are honest about our perspective. We're progressives. We're outsiders. And we don't particularly like the establishment. And that has given us an enormous advantage because the audience are also outsiders. They're not insiders. They don't have much love for former Obama or Bush administration officials. They don't really trust them. They think they're mouthpieces because they are. And we don't use teleprompters. So we're real human beings telling the story. The guys on TV are largely news actors, not news anchors. Uh, some of them write their own scripts. Some of them care. Some of them help produce the show. I have seen many, many others in my days of cable news walk in, read the script once, go on air. I've seen some walk in, not read the script once, and go on air. I mean, if that's not a news actor, I don't know what is. So so what is it that, uh, like a perspective type of journalism that you're sort of describing, you know, how can, how can this sort of contribute to the to the national dialogue? I think it contributes a lot more than the pulp you see on, for example, CNN. So, for example, we could take almost any issue. Let's take one that we just did a couple of days ago on the show. Uh, so the Republicans choose to take away the ability to do class action lawsuits against banks. Now, CNN will say, Republicans say it is important for financial innovation and deregulation stimulates the economy. The Democrats are concerned about consumer protection. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just told the audience absolutely nothing, right? I don't care what the Democrats say and what the Republicans say. What is the reality? What is the reality? And they're so scared to tell the audience what the reality is. And in that case, there is a clear reality. When you take away class action lawsuits, uh, which actually the Supreme Court in, in a lot of ways did in 2011 and 2013, but this just codifies it. There was one lawsuit uh, pre those Supreme Court decisions in 2009 that got uh, consumers a billion dollars back because the banks had actually, through overdrafts and the way they had structured overdrafts, had robbed them of a billion dollars. Now, you just like you say that and CNN goes, no, 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 no. That's uh, inflammatory. But wait a minute. It was adjudicated. The court said, yes, they, in essence, stole one billion dollars from these customers, actually a lot more than that. But we are going to give them the customers back this billion dollars that the banks ripped off from them. Now, after class action lawsuits are killed, there's a two-year study, and there's only 78 people who won in arbitration, and they won only $400,000. You think all of a sudden the banks stopped ripping people off? No. Without being able to do collective action, the banks have taken away the power of their own customers, and, and, and it allows them to uh, continue to do things that have in the past resulted in taking money from their customers and putting it in their own pockets wrongly. So that's the reality. But uh, that they say that's biased. No, the truth is not biased. The truth is reality. And by the way, it's nonpartisan. So the Democrats are totally wrong on the Export-Import Bank, totally crony capitalism. It's a super rare thing that I agree with Ted Cruz on. Uh, look, you know, I don't want to get into his motivations, Democratic motiva- motivations, but there is a reality there as well. There is an enormous amount of money given to corporations through the Export-Import Bank. It does not necessarily lead to more jobs, and that those things are provable. I can go on and on. They, the filibusters, obstruction, they called it even. No, it's not even. Republicans, 
broke the record on the number of filibusters times two or three. So there are real facts here, and most of the rest of the news doesn't cover it. So, you know, now, am I a journalist? I guess better than anyone on TV, and I'm, I'm at least honest about my perspective. So it's sort of going along with what you're talking about in this um, establishment bias in, in the mainstream media, you know, somebody who would, you know, we've had people on the podcast before and we've gotten who who were, say, from a progressive perspective. And, and criticisms we got of those podcasts and the people who appeared on them, they were like, oh, well, they're just chills for whatever, the, for the left or the right or for a particular pol- political party. So, yeah, I mean, is that a concern for you, the, the, the perception that maybe just because you, you label yourself Republic or pardon me, you label yourself um, progressive, that, that you're, su- you're somehow a shill for the left? Okay, no, I don't give a damn about anybody who says that. So now that'll rub them, that last sentence of mine will rub them the wrong way. Well, that's a sad day for them, man. That's why we won the audience and they haven't, okay? So all this walking on eggshell to please Republicans and not have Rush Limbaugh and Fox News criticize you. Look, what is the reality? What are the facts? Here, I'll give you another example. So when we went to the war in Iraq, 69% of Americans thought that Saddam Hussein had personally attacked us on 9-11. Well, that was just not true. It's not even. If you said Saddam might or might not have attacked us on 9-11, you were a shill for the Republican Party. You were a shill for George Bush. You were a shill for the war machine because you called it even when it wasn't even. You lied by calling it even. He was not part of 9-11. So that is what the journalist should have said. And yes, if they said that, Dick Cheney would have yelled at him and Rush Limbaugh would have yelled at him. It is your job to be brave and strong and speak truth to power. It's not your job to worry about what Dick Cheney is going to call you. If their feathers are ruffled by the idea of actually bringing truth to people, to the best of our ability, nobody's got a monopoly on truth. But to be honest with people and to say these are the facts and we're not going to call it neutral – then, then they shouldn't watch us because they're wrong about what journalism should be. One last example to give it absolutely clear. Look, if sports journalism did the same kind of neutral horse crap that CNN does, you'd have, okay, the Dodgers and the Astros played last night in the World Series. Oh, the Dodgers say they won and the Astros say they won. I guess we'll never find out. <laughs> no, what the hell's the score? We will find out. I don't care what the Dodgers and Astros said. What's the score? And sometimes there's no score. Like, I'm not asking for your opinion on pro-choice or pro-life. But most of the time, there actually is a score. And a lot of the journalists have been scared to say what it is. So let's step back a second and and look at, I mean, were you surprised at, you know, I think you said actually at ONA that you weren't particularly surprised. And actually, you may have predicted the... um, how the election was going to turn out. So, but since the election, are, are you sort of surprised at the way um, that the media has tried to interpret what's going on? Yeah, so that's a, a more nuanced and really interesting question. So, you know, I have mixed feelings about how the media is handling Donald Trump. I think on the one hand, I am delighted to see them finally being watchdog. And he's kind of forced their hand. I mean, his, his lies are not subtle. <laughs> so Bush was a little subtle, uh, I guess subtle enough for the most of the press to call it even. Obama was very subtle. And if you think Obama didn't lie, you're crazy. They, not all, they constantly said that they didn't kill civilians with drone strikes. 
It was a preposterous lie. It was proven wrong. But, you know, Obama's such a nice guy, and everybody in the cocktail circuit knows everybody in the Obama administration, so they didn't want to call out Obama's lies. So I am deeply progressive, but you have to call it as it is, right? And so there's a giant difference between perspective and partisan. Now, so I'm delighted that they're calling out Trump's fabrications more. I think that's great. At the same time, Trump is not part of their establishment circuit. I mean, he's a billionaire and he's given all the tax cuts to the rich and all the things that Republican donors want. Don't get me wrong. But he's not part of the establishment in Washington and New York. And that's part of the reason why they're chafing at him. And so sometimes they do go over the top. And, you know, I mean, he's such a buffoon. It's hard not to nitpick his language. But, you know, I even think that the call to the widow recently, I know a lot of people were outraged by it. And and I was to some degree as well. But like he's doing so many things wrong that when you overfocus on one or two wrong words, it allows his side to go, oh, you know, that's it. We knew it. They're just biased against them. So it, it's a tough one, and it's a nuanced one. But overall, when he says something that is factually incorrect, they're absolutely right to be all over him. Now, you, you also, at O'Neill, you were talking about uh, the way the press covered Bernie Sanders during the election cycle. What are your, what are your thoughts about that? So I think that the establishment press dislikes Bernie Sanders more than they dislike Donald Trump. Now, uh, that's an opinion of mine, and I'm being clear about that. And I know that for a lot of people who work in the press, they'll find that to be an outrageous statement. But in reality, in 2015, in the primetime news, not that it's relevant anymore, ABC, CBS, and NBC, they gave like a minute and 15 seconds of coverage to Bernie Sanders as he was making a historic run. And as he closed the, what was a 60-point lead, it was an amazing political story, almost the story of a lifetime. And certainly would have been if it wasn't for Trump. And yet it got almost no coverage. That's a fact. Media Matters is very pro-Hillary Clinton, but even they covered it and even they pointed out. The reality is we got very little cable news and almost no evening news coverage for Bernie Sanders. Because there's a lot of different reasons why I think that a lot of the press has internalized the Republican Tory point that they're liberal. They dismiss everything that is liberal. They go, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to cover Bernie Sanders. No, 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 Right? Liberals have no chance of winning. And they perpetuate this conventional wisdom that is maddening and that is just that helps Republican propaganda so much. Progressives are impractical. Single payer, that's crazy. You can't do that. That's not practical. What do you mean that's not practical? Every other developed country has it. What part of that is impractical? You know, oh, uh, tuition for all. Oh, my God, that's so impractical. It's only $75 billion. That's 5% of the cost of the Iraq war. And I don't remember the cable news uh, guys telling me that the Iraq war was impractical. So they have this bias that they're not even aware of, that when they see Bernie Sanders or other progressives, it rubs them the wrong way. And they immediately go, oh, radical. No way. No way. So, yes, they were grossly, grossly unfair. As they were giving $2 billion of free media to Donald Trump, they give almost nothing to Bernie Sanders. And even today, when I was in Washington, I was talking to a person from one of the top newspapers. It's off the record, so I'll leave out names. But she said, no, 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 I don't do opinion. And that's, uh, and, you know, that's not what I do, okay? And then five minutes later, in the middle of the conversation, she said, Bernie Sanders will never be president. I said, what, what happened? I thought you don't do opinion. No, they do have an opinion, and they're greatly disdainful of liberals. So that's the reality of today's media. So that goes back to what you were saying before about sort of ma- maintaining the status quo, that, you know, sort of shilling for the, for the establishment. Yes, 
and look, you know, in the event that you saw Michael, Brian Stelter and I were on the same stage, and he, he was moderating, and he asked me at one point, you know, do you think I'm not shilling, he didn't use that word, but like, you know, basically helping the establishment, something along those lines. And my answer was yes. And it's not to be rude to Brian, and Brian does, nobody gave him a memo saying, hey, now remember, protect the status quo, Brian. There's no smoke-filled room uh, where they hatch the conspiracy. But if I'm being a little rude but honest, a lot of those folks on TV were picked because they were considered safe. What does safe mean? Safe means status quo. Now, I don't see Glenn Greenwald with a, a cable news show. I don't see any strong progressives with a cable news show because... Uh, that rocks the boat a little bit. I mean, what's the furthest out they go? Rachel Maddow? Rachel Maddow, I mean, look, I got a lot of great things to say about Rachel, and I think she's super smart. But if you think she's the outer edge of left wing, then you don't understand the political spectrum in this country at all. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that, that a lot of people still get most of their news or most of the political commentary or, or coverage that that's out there that people follow is, is, is are comedians or night, night show hosts. <laughs> It's it's a it's a weird sort of time we're in now, as far as uh, political discourse goes. Now, before we wrap up, I, I don't want to uh, miss up the opportunity. You know, what what do you see are some of the highlights of what Young Turks has been able to do? By the way, just on the comedy yeah. note, there, Michael, it's such a good point, and the reason for that is the same thing that we were just talking about, because there's such a dearth of real aggressive truth to power watchdog journalism yeah. on television, that that's why people are going to comedians, they're going to YouTube, they're going to people like us, because the field is empty. And they're just looking for, hey, is anybody going to say things that are true? Like, on TV, they pretend that corporations are human beings. I mean, what a preposterous thing. No one in America believes that a corporation is a person. But the people in power in Washington and New York have agreed upon this fiction and they act as if it's perfectly normal. On television, they never talk about the corruption. But we have private financing of elections that leads to politicians serving private interests. It's the most logical, obvious thing in the world. 93% of Americans believe that politicians serve their donors over their voters. Why? Because of course they do. Because when you take millions of dollars, you usually work for that guy. And, but they never say that on television. They pretend that they're having intellectual debates in Congress. When's the last time anyone in Congress said, oh, you know what? The gentleman from Connecticut made a good point. I, I switched my mind. I changed my mind and I switched my vote. Never. They're just voting based on their checks because we've legalized bribery in this country. But part of the reason they don't say it on TV is because where does the $4 billion per election cycle go? Largely to TV. When you say things like that, they go, oh, that's a conspiracy. What do you mean it's a conspiracy? It's a fact. And you can see it with your own eyes. Go watch television. You can watch it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you'll never hear them talk about the corruption, right? And by the way, that's part of why Trump won. Now, Trump was never going to fix the corruption. He actually loved the corruption. But he at least said there was corruption, and people were animated by it. And Hillary Clinton went for the status quo and lost. You could be really upset that she lost. But that is a losing strategy because in reality, Americans believe there is corruption and they are correct. Okay, so. So, so, your <laughs> yeah, so tell me about some of the things that uh, the Young Turks has been able to do that you're really proud of. Thank you for asking. So we are now at seven and a half billion views lifetime for the Young Turks Network. And that is the number of people on the planet. 
And so that doesn't mean everybody on Planet Watch does its views, not unique viewers. But it's a nice landmark. You know, it's a nice place to get to. And, and I think that having been able to strongly represent the progressive point of view and get all those folks to watch it has been amazing. I mean, look, I view every one of our videos as a message in a bottle. But those messages have reached not seven and a half billion people, but seven and a half billion views. So it's a combination of those folks, you know. And and in terms of unique viewers, we reach about 60 million, 60 to 70 million a month. So that's a lot of folks to get our message out to. And I'm really, really proud of that. I, I'm in the, as anybody listening to this point can probably tell them, I'm a huge believer in change. I think the status quo is terrible. I think the fact that people are making $7.25, $15,000 a year and expected to live off of that is outrageous. I think the system has been rigged against the poor and the middle class, and they rigged it through legalized bribes. And I, I don't believe in journalism where you sit on your hands and say, to be fair, there's definitely room for objective journalism. But I believe there's also room for perspective journalism where you say, hey, you know what? This is the system as it is, and it sucks. And yes, I will fight to change it. I will fight for the audience to change it. And the fact that people have believed in us and held us, I guess, propelled us forward to help lead that change is humbling, wonderful. Uh, it's been an amazing adventure. Well, Jenk, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. It's been a great discussion here. Uh, I wish you luck and continued luck with your, uh, with your show, Young Turks. I, I do enjoy watching it occasionally. It's nice to hear somebody talking about a different angle to, to journalism. You know, I, I agree with a lot of the points that you made about what's what's working and what's not working and, and how we could more of us could uh, if we at all, you know, speak more truth to power. I think we'd be in a lot better place. Totally agreed. Thank you so much for having me on, Michael. I really appreciate it. Join us next week when we talk to Mandy Jenkins and Benjamin Decker of Storyfill about fake news and what newsrooms can do about it. Also, keep your eye out, or I guess keep your ear out since podcasts are an audio thing and you listen to things with your ears. Anyway, we've got big news coming up about a live event that we're actually planning. Hopefully we'll have news about that in the next week or so. Just another opportunity for everybody to get involved in our podcast. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can check out itsalljournalism.com to download past episodes, leave comments, send us emails at editor at itsalljournalism.com, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, all that good stuff. If you like us, go ahead and uh, review us on Apple iTunes and uh, rate us. And uh, you can also subscribe to us there. You can subscribe on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. And as I mentioned last week, you can listen to us on the Alexa smart speaker. Just go to your Alexa app and enable the skills for Spreaker. And once you have those enabled, you can request to listen to our podcast through Spreaker. It takes a lot of people to produce an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco edited our audio. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The Finish the Game Podcast with your host, Sean Alexander. Draw play to Sean. Across the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Seahawks. 
Hey, this is Sean Alexander, NFL MVP. Check out my podcast, Finish the Game, where I discuss sports and life lessons helping you become an MVP. The Finish the Game podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. The Target USA podcast with your host, J.J. Green. Russia could render a huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. That could touch the whole of the United States. ISIS. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to see an attack. This is J.J. Green. Join me each week for the latest on U.S. and international security on Target USA. The Target USA podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.